good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are in the world. Welcome again to the School of Small Business. I am Salome Chung. Um, welcome to the broadcast. Um, on this uh, show, we um, talk all things small business. Um, it is my um, desire and goal to really address the issues facing small business and to provide solutions and strategies to help them to address those um, issues. Um, if you are new, um, please um, share um, this broadcast with your network, your family, friends. Um, if you are a returning subscriber, thank you for your support. Um, without you, um, this broadcast wouldn't reach the um, audience that I would like to reach. So thank you for that. Uh, but without further ado, um, today's broadcast, I want to address the, um, the topic of purpose in business. Um, business owners, uh, most people in business typically start a business because they either want to introduce a new product or service, or they want to um, introduce an improved product or service. Um, however, oftentimes we have um, people who um, parlay their purpose into their life's work and that no one um, embodies that more than my guest today, Dr. Tanya Scottisi. Welcome, Tanya. Um, Tanya is a funeral services educator. She's a, a senior placement um, specialist, and she's also an expert witness in funeral home litigation. Um, Tanya, I have known Tanya uh, for not very long, but I feel as if I've known her for a very long time. We've become fast friends and is always uh, someone that I enjoy speaking with and learning from. So Tanya, welcome to the broadcast. Um, please tell us, um, how did you get into the line of work you're in? Um, what made you um, uh, decide that this line of work is your life's work? Well, first of all, Salome, thank you so much. It is an honor to be here uh, today and to have the opportunity to collaborate with you. And uh, yes, we have become fast friends. And uh, I always like to tell my daughter that you are the most person that I have this exact conversation with over such a period of time. So I know we've spoke many hours. So thank you for having me this evening on your podcast. So to answer your question, um, my life's purpose actually was a moment in time when I was 12 years old and I had attended my first wake or visitation calling hours, depending on where you are in the world, they're called different things to go view a decedent, a deceased person. And I'm originally from Connecticut, now living right outside Miami, Florida. And I went to my first wake at the age of 12, and it was my mother's friend's mom. So I did not know the deceased when she was living. And I was greeted by the men in black with the chandeliers at the funeral home. And I had no emotional attachment to the deceased. And I was just mesmerized. That's the word I'm going to use, mesmerized. And I was so just captivated that I went, walked up to the casket and I see this woman laid out in the casket, beautifully dressed, makeup. And 
I remember saying to my mom, like, can I touch her? Like, I didn't know, I never saw a dead person. And my mom is like, no, no, you're supposed to let them rest in peace. You're supposed to say <laughs> a prayer. So I'm like, okay. So I said a prayer and I sat down like I was supposed to. And I was a very shy kid. Like I was not a very rambunctious or, you know, outgoing child. And I remember sitting down and I see all these people walking down the hallway. So I turned and I said, I looked outside and I said, where are all these people going? And there was another wake visitation or calling hours to a man. And I said to my mom, can I go visit him? And she's like, you're supposed to know the people, like not just barge in on people's wakes. Like, you know, they have the wedding crashers, right? So I guess I started as a very young funeral crasher. Yeah. crasher. So I went and I paid my respects by myself. My mother did not come down the hall with me. And literally, Salome, when I tell you that that moment at the age of 12 years old, it, it struck me. Like it just, it captivated me. And, you know, life puts us on a detour, whether sometimes we want it or not. And I always love your expression, Salome, that the universe auto-corrects, right? Yes. So at the age yeah. of 12 years old, there I was fascinated by this wake, went back to my normal business, ended up 21 years in medical office administration as a medical assistant. And Somehow, some way, I was in my mid 30s. I was managing Dr. Kenneth Kern's office in Hartford, Connecticut. And I don't know, there's no reason to this day of how or why I went into work. I did not think about this. I did not dream about it. I did not research it. I picked up a phone and I called a funeral home in Connecticut. And I just asked them, I said, I don't know what you people call yourselves, but I want to be what you people are. Wow. By that afternoon, I was sitting in the director of the mortuary program in Connecticut. And by the time that Dr. Kern came out of surgery that afternoon, I'm asking him if I could have Tuesday afternoons off at 3 p.m. so I could go to mortuary school. Well, he thought I almost like lost my mind. It's like, you're going to do what? Like, why? What is the reason? There was no reason. There was absolutely no reason. So for me, so you, to so you kind of felt just called to do this called but it was it was truly um you know and I know everyone has their own beliefs you know whether it's you know in universe or divinely inspired or religious whatever people believe they believe but this was something above me because I did not seek it out it sought me out so I went to mortuary school in my mid-30s I was a single mom my daughter was about seven at the time and it you know I just continued with the academics and the studies um and I did not have like a set goal. It wasn't like, oh, I want to be this because I want to work here. There was no really step by step. It was more just like wherever I'm supposed to be, I want to be. So, so that is a long-winded answer to your question about my life's purpose, about being in the funeral profession. Um, and that has morphed also because I was working for um, Michelle Farley Williams and John Williams. Um, on the west coast of Florida for Farley Funeral Homes and Crematory for just under 13 years. And I had done my internship there and stayed on and became a manager of their funeral homes and cemetery. And again, didn't seek this out. It was just the opportunities arose. I love marketing, community outreach, education. And I stayed in school long enough to, I eventually left the funeral home and then landed the job at Miami-Dade College as a full-time professor. Awesome. What a journey. Um, and along this journey, what would you say, two, two observations I want to make. 
Um, what challenges, if any, did you encounter as a woman in the industry? And uh, if you didn't have any challenges, um, what led you from being in the, um, uh, just by happenstance, working for a mortuary company to wanting to be uh, a licensed uh, mortician? So to answer your first question. And, and if it, sorry to interrupt. And if going back to the challenges question, um, what would you advise some a woman um, wanting to enter this field? Um, what were the challenges you experienced? Um, and what advice would you give? So mortuary field or funeral world you know, some people like to say we're so different than other fields, but when we're dealing with people, right, it doesn't matter what field we're in, it's people. So you have your challenges with people. There's your bully type of personalities. You have your people that really empower you and support you. And I think it's like luck of the draw, like where you end up. So the challenges, I, I did experience challenges. First of all, the first challenge was base level was understanding academia. Like I was, I did not go to a traditional four-year college after high school. I don't sit in an ivory tower behind my degrees. So I was a working person from the age of 16 up until my mid thirties, you know, and, you know, a couple of failed marriages and, you know, things that didn't work out, challenges, trials, and tribulations. I had my daughter who is, you know, as aspiration of my life a lover to death um and she literally just was the force behind my initiative to take on going to school so the initial challenge wasn't so much thinking about going to school was sitting in classrooms with people who were half my age that seemed to get it right out of the gate and i hadn't been in school and the brain is just different as an adult learning and trying to navigate, like I was a good worker, you know, I could go to work, do what was expected of me and collect my paycheck and call it a day. The academic world has its own challenges. So being not only female, but just an adult in a more of a non, I was non-traditional compared to a lot of the traditional students. So that was one challenge. Going into the mortuary field, Traditionally and historically, that has been a male-dominated field. The statistics have changed right now. Um, the last actual statistic that I read was 52% of females. It actually may be higher. It actually may be much higher than that um, currently. I can't cite any journals off the top of my head, but it's a higher number of females entering the profession. However, even though they're entering the profession, or they did back in the day, when back in 2005, when I ventured into the profession. There was still a very high prevalence of men dominating in the form of owners, managers, and um, funeral directors. So because I chose the education path, when I started working in the funeral home, I went in as an intern. So to answer your question, it wasn't that I was working as a funeral assistant or funeral attendant or transport person. I was already going in with the goal of becoming a licensed funeral director and bomber. So the challenges I would say, like other people, right? That, you know, going back to school is a whole undertaking literally in itself. 
being faced with not knowing the process, not knowing how to study, not knowing what the what the expectation is. You know, it's it's a different wiring of the brain than maybe going to college right out of high school and then maybe going back for a degree later on. So I started literally my academic journey at the age of 35. Wow. I stayed in school full time, never took a break, summers, winters, springs, um, back in the seasons in Connecticut. And I just stayed in school. So when I relocated from Connecticut to Florida, I transferred in to the baccalaureate degree for my bachelor's at the University of South Florida. And I just continued the academic journey. So every time I started something new, the challenges that I faced first were people who you might think are your friends or your colleagues. Why are you going to school? Like, what are you doing this for? So almost like you almost, and you may not have, I did not have an answer. You know, one may not have an answer. It was just, I don't know. And it was like, well, do you need to do this? You know, like, what's the reason? Is there a job? Like, what do you look? And there wasn't, it wasn't a certain job. It was, I don't know. I just want to do it. So sometimes having to face those, not questions, but just almost feeling like you're defending yourself with friends or family about why you're doing what you're doing. And you really have no logical reason. It wasn't like, oh, I want to be a medical doctor or, oh, I want to be an attorney or I want to be a banker or a plumber. Like you have very logistic steps to become any of the above mentioned. Exactly. I did not seek out academia. That was not an initiative to say, oh, I want to go on this path because I want to end up here. It literally took me. It took me on this journey. So, and so Tanya, like every other endeavor or business um, an individual might want to um, partake in. Um, and you kind of would expect the support of family, friends, acquaintances, but that seems to always be, um, I don't want to say obstacle, but a challenge where, you know, like you say, friends, family would say, well, why are you doing this? You know, for what reason? And uh, it, it's important for, for people who are entering any business or are trying to achieve their purpose, not to listen to the naysayers, but exactly. just, just to go for your, just if it's your passion, just go for it. Right. And sometimes, you know, and I, and I, I see it now as, as a death care educator on the academic side, you know, at the beginning of my semesters, I always, you know, some of my students, they get so frustrated with me, Salome, they're like, will she stop with the introductions? Why do we got to sit here and introduce? Because I want to know my people. I want to know who the students are. I want them to know me. I want to make that connection. So I take the time, I'll take one or two classes beginning of the semester and we'll go through name by name and ask questions and answers because I feel that that connection is so important to understanding why are we here and sometimes you know it, it's amazing what unveils in those introductions because not everyone has the support there are many that do and their vision or perspective is oh we're all supported it's like no that's not true I've seen through the academics sometimes people actually lose friends along that path, get divorced. Absolutely. Supports everybody, you know? So it, it sounds, it sounds um, melodramatic, but it's really not. You really do lose friends, um, partners, um, 
family members because of some choices that you make for the better. And, and it's interesting, you know, I, I thought, well, why is that? You would think they would want what's best for you um, as a reason for choosing to go along whatever path it is that you choose. But, but that is something that I've always found to be interesting that the people closest to you, some of them you lose along the way. And I often think it's, it's as you say, I'm a big believer in the universe. It's the universe clearing a path for you. <laughs> clearing, uh, well, it's the universe clearing away the obstacles in your way that you don't really need. So Yeah, and I think it almost comes from a growth, like a personal growth, right? And now whether somebody wants to space spiritual, okay, that's another perspective, but just a personal growth. So you can understand that if you're with somebody, not everybody is growing at the same time. So you can outgrow relationships or friendships. And there's other people that for whatever the reason is, I don't know, I'm not a psychologist. That's my daughter's area. But some people are more like under the thing, like I'm happy if I hear that you're having issues. I don't want to, you know, so misery, it, misery loves company. Misery loves company. Yeah, the old adage, right? So for me personally, you know, to go back to your question about the trials and tribulations, yes, I've experienced it. And then I'm very, very proactive. I like very solution driven things. I'm very um, collaborative. Not everyone is collaborative. You know, I'm, I don't live in a scarcity mentality. And there's a lot of people think it's like, you're going to take my job. You know, I'm not going to share information because you're going to take my job or this very territorial. And in a funeral directing, there's a lot of type A personalities, okay, like myself, but they want to hold on to their knowledge. And I've never been that person. I'm the type of person that I like to be the resource. I like to have the most information for someone to share and to be able to guide them to the best. I don't want people to, you know, the old, you know, I walk to school and you got to walk to school the five miles in the snow. Like, I don't, I don't believe that. That's not me. So for me personally, the academic journey, it just evolved. It was like it morphed, it morphed, it morphed. And then it came to a point that when I completed my PhD in 2015, I stayed on with the funeral home another three years. So I, you know, it wasn't that I just left, but I felt that I wanted to utilize the skills that I went to school for. And a colleague of mine, Melanie Wisinski, um, who I went to graduate school with, actually reached out and she was like, Tanya, did you did you see this job at the Miami-Dade College? And I'm like, I'm not even on any academic websites. It's like, no, I didn't see it. And she's like, well, this job sounds like it's tailor-made for you. And I'm like, well, send it over. I never really looked at an academic job. And I read the the credentials and the requirements. And I'm like, wow, this does sound tailor-made. So I applied for the job and I landed the job as a full-time faculty at Miami-Dade College. And I remember Salome and you and I have talked heart to heart on this topic. You can't chase a dollar in this world, right? You can't chase the dollar. You know, I'm not saying that money doesn't come to people that do good, but just going after a dollar, it's almost like that dollar always gets away, right? And you can never quite catch it. It's like never enough. So Literally, I got the job offer and I'm at the funeral home. And at that time, um, I've since caught up, but at that time, the finances, it was like off kilter, right? We're talking huge amounts of money left behind, not going towards, okay? 
And I didn't know, like, should I not take this job because it's not as profitable as what I'm doing now? And I went out into the parking lot in Venice, Florida. Anybody that knows Venice, Florida, right? Was in the parking lot. And I just said, show me a sign that I'm supposed to take this job. Okay. And, and I, I didn't know, we didn't know what I was looking for. It wasn't that I had a sign at that time, but there was this beautiful black feather in the middle of the parking lot, right? By itself, there was no birds around. Now, maybe it was there all day. I don't know. I had never seen one in my life and I had been there almost 13 years. I saw, picked up that feather and I'm like, we're going to Miami. <laughs> so it, that's how it happens. I mean, but, but it's funny because, you know, asking me direct questions, it's like, I never really sit back and think to myself, like, well, how did I get into a full-time academic position? It just kind of evolved. And then, as you know, in January, um, I took over as the program coordinator of the funeral service education program at the college, which was another layer, but again, not sought, sought not out. Sought after. And, and that's the thing about um, if you're in your right space and on the right journey, on the right journey, excuse me, um, the path will open up for you. That that's just um, that's just how it works. When uh, I find when things aren't working out for you, it's probably not where you're supposed to be. So um, to to um, continue, um, what would you? You're in charge of a lot of people. <laughs> um and you, as you said earlier you're um you're always trying to get to know them um who are your people um uh, what are their goals um how can you best serve them um so in in that spirit what what advice would you give Let, let's um talk about um anyone who might be listening or someone may see us on youtube what advice would you give someone who may be thinking about entering the funeral services industry? And uh, um, what advice, um, same question for your students. Um, once you get to know them, how do you serve, you know, what's your, what's the approach you use to serve them best? So for me personally, I feel like I'm in a servant leadership role. Like I am here to serve my students and I do my best a to get to know them, connect with them, um, understand who they are and what they're about and vice versa. And I feel that the preparation to going into mortuary field is one that I do spend time at the beginning of each semester with the classes, especially our newer students that are incoming to the program, that it's not a nine to five glamorous job. I mean, it is 24 seven holidays, weekends, people don't die between nine and five. I mean, people die every day of all different types of deaths and seeing death every day is not normal for a human to experience. I mean, physicians, even physicians who see it, that's, it's in a different realm. Okay. So being prepared for the unknown, you have to be able to very proficiently pivot. So somebody that likes things very regimented will do 
it will be horrible for them to go into the mortuary world because you never know what you're going into. You may have a four car accident and now you're serving many people all at one time. You may get called in, somebody else is called out sick and now you're taking over for them. So people that can't just kind of pivot and go with the flow wherever you're supposed to be, it's not for them. And I can tell personality-wise how people act in the classroom, usually where, I'm not like a fortune teller or anything, but I can just see or almost predict if they get frustrated because something isn't exactly right or, you know, there's a technology issue and they get so frustrated. It's like, this field is probably not going to be the best because there's it's ever-changing constantly. Also, you're working with other like-minded territorial people, right? Most funeral directors are in charge of many families at one time, especially if it's a busy funeral home, and you're multitasking constantly. So you have to be able to delegate. You have to be able to take help when needed. And not everyone has that skill set. Some of the students that I see are fixated on wanting to work on the deceased, such as the prep room in the restorative art sections, you know, in the embalming which is fine, except that in itself can be very limiting, especially it's a lot of wear and tear on your own body. You're standing for long hours. You know, so I've seen a lot of embalmers have back issue, knee issues. So if your focus is on that in your 20s, by the time you're maybe in your 40s, what are you going to do if you pigeonhole yourself into being a specific embalmer? So for me, having the incoming students, my verb that I like to use is inspire. I love to inspire the students. I love to tell them the facets, the good, the bad, about the position, about the profession, about the choices that they can make, and also not to have them limited by an associate of science degree in funeral service education. They can use it as a stepping stone if they want. Maybe they want to go on the medical examiner side or forensic side or crime scene or continue to become an educator. But some people, I think we have it, a lot of us, and I used to be like this, you may have an end goal, Right. So it's like, well, I want to get through this program because I want to go work. I said, well, you might be bored out of your mind working for a funeral home for five years straight and you're going to be happy that you stayed in school. So for me, what education has done, it has given me a window of an opportunity that if people don't know where they should be, they should be in school because in school, they're going to have the resources where it's an opposite mindset. Sometimes people will say, well, I don't want to go to school until I know what I want to be. Right. So it's fascinating as an educator because I see all kinds of students. I have students with doctoral degrees. I have, a, um, you know, I have a few that are, you know, doctor, doctor of pharmacy. I have um, some are coming out of, you know, executive leadership, educational leadership, social workers, psychologists, pastors. So people are coming in. They're not all the traditional 20 year old students. We have many that are different walks of life, different faces. Different Why do you think? Why do you think those people um, choose to come back and enter a program such as um, uh, funeral services? So I would say one third of them have a calling, truly have a calling. Like it's something they can't even describe. They don't know why. They It's kind of like me at 12 years old that's impressed with the chandelier and the men in black suits. It's something of a calling. The other two thirds 
One third is because they had a positive experience at a funeral home and they want to emulate that. Like, for example, like, oh, let's say my grandma passed and I was treated so nice and it was so kind that I want to be like that person that helped me. So that's one third of the students coming in wanting to be helping people through a difficult time. And lastly, there's people that had a horrible experience and think that they could do a better job than what they experienced. They feel like the profession needs more professionals. So that's, in my viewpoint, the three very distinct categories about why people are coming into the profession. Now, with the pandemic, I think the pandemic has shed much light on death care because Prior to it, you know, we don't usually talk about death every day. I mean, okay, if you watch the news, something's happening that's, you know, death related. But to have, you know, two, three, what, a couple of years of constant reminders of death has shed light on humanity overall, right? And it, it's nothing political. It's just what, you know, the reality of it. So from what we've seen, and the last statistic that I've seen at Miami-Dade College was a 62% enrollment is higher at the college in our program since the pandemic. So, which leads me to share with you that I think some people are fascinated by it. Some people are just wanting to be there for something above them. But my goal is to really hone in on what the profession is, is as far as expectations, how to be successful and how not to pigeon yourself in to a job that may not be for you. And it doesn't mean that you can't be in the profession. It just may be just maybe a typical traditional funeral home may not be the path of choice five years out. Awesome. Um, you know, for as I'm listening to you speak, um, it seems when I think of um, funeral services, death services, um, it takes, it's kind of like being a teacher. It takes a special person, uh, to be really successful, um, at it, A, and B, to really, um, deliver the best service. Because sometimes you, you can go into a, um, mortuary, um, office and don't necessarily get the best service. Right. Uh, it, it, it's it's about um you know your loved one has passed um here's what we offer how much money do you have um do you have insurance um how much is the is the payout let's um give me your money and and let's get this person buried um for me that's um <laughs> that's happened um but. Uh, I feel from, um, you know, talking to you and uh, I've, I've had conversations with other people in the debt services industry. And uh, when you have a passion for it and, and it is really your calling, you're not so much focused. You, yes, you want to guide the deceased, um, the deceased um, regarding um, the financial part of it you know, um, but what you're there to deliver is service and uh, uh, the financial part takes care of itself. But uh, I, I make that observation to say, um, do you, um, you, you've told me about the 
what has attracted people in general um, to the profession. But um, do people come in just because they want to do it because they they want a job? Um, it, it would it would seem to me um, that maybe you wouldn't get a lot of um, people like that entering the industry. Um, you know, you might have um, someone who wants a job and maybe gets kind of like a a support staff job in a mortuary, but they don't necessarily want to go to college um, to be able to do that job. Um, wh what's your experience with students entering that entering the program? Are they just after a job? In, I know you say a lot of people come in because of their calling, but do people come into mortuary service just as a um it's kind of like professional preachers <laughs> they yeah. they don't really have the calling to be a preacher but it's a professional thing do you find I, that in mortuary um, sciences I don't for the reason being that most usually like on the first day of class I will address that if you just want to work in a funeral home and help out and drive a hearse or drive a van or go on a transfer to pick up a decedent. You don't need to be in mortuary school. Like you could do that. That's, you know, there's a dime a dozen jobs out there. If you want to do transport, if you want to just help out, that's not requiring a funeral director or embalmer license. The school aspect is because specifically in Florida under our state statute, chapter 497, in order to meet with a family who has had somebody that's passed, so we refer to that as at need, like an at need situation, the you either have to be an intern, like working directly under a funeral director or be a funeral director to meet with that family. So there's many opportunities for people, let's say they wanna go into a pre-need or family service counseling, helping families. They're acting very similar to a funeral director in that they're working, you know, all, all intents and purposes, they're planning a funeral before the person passes. They're taking all the vital information, planning the services, religious, non-religious, flowers, all everything that's related. And they're not funeral directors, right? So there's many things that people do. And I really don't want people going, thinking that they have to go to mortuary school to work in a funeral home because that's that's a fallacy. Now, on the flip side, I do survey my students, again, those first two classes of every semester, like, why are you here? What is the reason? And some once in a while, I'll get somebody because it's lucrative. And I'm like, if that's the only reason why you're here, there's plenty of other jobs that are more lucrative than funeral services. Because as you know, Salome, you and I've had many conversations. Most funeral directors look expensive, right? We're wearing black suits. You know, we look we look polished, but the reality is we're not wearing suits that you wear to a wedding or a banquet. Our suits need to be durable to be able to sustain, you know, fluids. Liquids. Wear on yeah. So, but we, it's just a look, but, but the image that people think it's like, we're driving, you know, nice cars. Well, unless you own the funeral home or manage the funeral home, most funeral directors base salaries are not that of other types of fields out there. So that's why I say to the students not to get enchanted or disillusioned by what they see. Because again, it's kind of like that carrot that you can never achieve or never sustain, right? right, right. So my goal as an educator and now as the program coordinator is to really hone in on people 
that want to make this a profession, that want the calling to come to fruition. And many students, right, just like we discussed, their, whether it's their inner voice or somebody else's voice that's impeding has prevented them. And it's like some, some around there, you know, they come around every few years, trying, trying again, trying again, and something will derail them. So my job is to really, you know, get them in the school, get them in the program, you know, educate them to the best of my ability, and then get them out in the real world. We're work face, work based, um, you know, institution, meaning that our job is to get them into the real world as, as funeral directors. So I think, you know, I know there's AI, you know, artificial intelligence and a lot of, you know, talk about DNA, but to the best of my knowledge, we haven't stopped death, right? So it's a field that there's going to be a need. Okay? But, but so, you know, it's interesting that you talk about AI and DNA, because that was going to be, um, you know, my next question. Um, what's the future of funeral service? Yes. What are the um, new what's coming down the pipe that's going to impact funeral services that's going to make it better? Um, what are the new innovations you see? Um, what would you like to see um, that's going to um, make what you offer um, to the public better and, mm -hmm. and make um, uh, funeral services experiences for the public um, better? So you had mentioned something a short time ago that you had, quote unquote, like a negative experience about being like, you know, kind of like honed around money and a situation, right, that you described. So what's interesting about most families, right, most people, and now obviously some people have more deaths in their family than others, but generally speaking, most people are probably making arrangements, I don't know, once every seven to 12 years, let's say, right? It's not something that you're doing every day. Yeah. So you talk about going out to dinner to a restaurant or traveling or going shopping, right? Consumers know pretty much like you can go what grocery store to go to, what pharmacy to shop at, what type of mall you want to go to, what type of restaurant you want to go to. When it comes to death, it's like people don't realize they have choices, right? They can choose the funeral home. They can shop the funeral home. They can, it's it's really consumer friendly. It's consumer based. I mean, we're governed by the Federal Trade Commission. All prices are disclosed ahead of time. So there are no secrets, but I think the consumer picks and chooses from the field of what they want and they think they have the whole package. And it's like, oh, why do we need a funeral director? What is the reason? So a funeral director's responsibility is to provide options and it should be all options, right? Every family, every time, no exceptions, no assumptions to be able to educate a family about what they can do for their loved one. And a lot of families are facing this at need, meaning that the person may have been alive and well this morning and has passed for some reason. And now families are in quote crisis mode, right? So funeral director's responsibility is to educate that family about all of the options for what they can do. So the second part of your question is specifically related to the future of funeral services regarding AI or anything like that. So we do see- What's the technology? Yeah, yeah the technology yeah. behind the um, yeah. funeral services. Yeah, so we do see more people nowadays, right? And this is religion specific and culture specific. So I'll preface it with that. 
But some people are looking more for, for example, clippings of the loved one's hair or DNA type of analysis to hold on. So, so we see more, there's more of, um, for example, companies out there that do thumbprints and they turn the thumbprints into jewelry. And there's a lot with the cremated remains. There's a lot more with um, markers and uh, the QR codes on the headstones at the cemeteries, um, sharing the person's story. There's a lot with a company um, with TribuCast, for example. They do um, you know, live, live webcasting of the services. So the technology, specifically through COVID, right, has kind of transformed what we do and how we do it. What I find interesting is we I teach funeral history, funeral directing right at the college. And sometimes what people think of as new is actually just the circle of life coming full circle. So when I hear students like, Professor, can we have a wake in their home? And I'm thinking, yeah, you can have a wake in their home. But we started. <laughs> yeah, where do we begin? That's where we began. Like funeral homes did so much. People can't even wrap their mind around the fact that the body um was um you know is just kept in the home in, that's where they started from. in the yeah. person's yeah. home and people would come to your home to view the body not at a facility you know exactly. that's where it all began it, it's very interesting yeah. um, the way funeral um and dead services and everything associated with with the disease has really evolved over time you know, uh, uh, you and I have talked about the technology around um, funeral services, and now they have where, you know, you can visit the deceased via technology, you know, they have different uh, devices that you can have at the um, grave where, you know, loved ones who are maybe in another country or another state can can visit the deceased or become be part of this the um the actual um what takes place um with the deceased. So uh, to me, all that is so interesting. But to your point, um, things really haven't changed that much. <laughs> You know, it, for people who are here now in the world, for them, it seems new. But for the older generation, that's just where it all began. Right. So, like, I will use, um, for example, um, a colleague of mine, Glenda Stansberry of Insight Institute. She has a program for having folks become celebrants, certified celebrants, be able, be able to deliver eulogies and, you know, have a non-traditional service or incorporating even aspects of religion. But that has taken off. That was a new turn um, with offering celebrant services. So people um, that are not necessarily religious can still have a beautiful um, celebration of life. But it's it's a little bit more than just a celebration of life, like a free-for-all. It's a structured program that they have that's available. So that was new. That was a newer program. Um, when people start talking about alternative types of disposition, that's another quote unquote buzzword, aquamation, watermation, natural organic reduction, human composting, green burial. You, you'll hear a lot of hype around that. Um, Are you know, those specializations, Tanya? Can someone wanting to get into, into dead services choose one of those avenues you're talking about, yes. non-traditional avenues? 
as 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 a profession. Yes. And, and does yes. the college offer courses in those um, particular areas? So, so the requirement, and I'm only speaking specifically for Florida because I'm only licensed in Florida, um, mm -hmm. to be able to work with an at-need family, again, meaning that a death has occurred, for regardless of what the disposition is, generally speaking, it's usually a licensed funeral director or an intern working with the family. So there are, Florida has a couple of unique, um, there's a quote-unquote dis direct disposer um, license, and that does not require mortuary school. So there are some unique pathways that people can offer i want to say alternative services the issue or not the issue the the greater question is how many people are really looking for that type of service right and the way i teach it so to answer your question the there's, so there are different certifications florida also has a college certificate or florida certificate at the college we offer it as a college certificate that is if someone just wants to become a director and not an embalmer and they have a two-year degree or higher in any other field, they can come in and they can just do what they call the art sections and get licensed as a funeral director and not have anything to do with embalming. And then the direct disposer, which is also in Florida, can allow someone to pretty much with a background check to pretty, you know, not laborious classes be able to get their license as a direct disposer so there are paths that are available for folks and not to mention the industry as far as the marketing side i mean as far as you know small businesses i mean a lot of people want to go they open up cremation jewelry businesses memory glass we have the parting stone we have uh, memory pearls we have algordanza life gems stummies precious memories there's company after company after company that either offer a product or a service and i'm speaking to justin crow with parting stone for a service which is solidified remains into an actual stone so wow. there's many different offerings out there. So there's many opportunities. Maybe someone doesn't really want to go work in a funeral home, but wants to be part of the death care movement. Let's say, let's call it that Salome, right? The death care movement that wants to open up a business. And um, I have a couple of students. One um, is a chef, um, Chef Winnie, and that's her passion. And she's, you know, gun ho and she's, you know, wants, she loves providing the repast. And, you know, that that's like a segue for her. I have other folks coming in that really have, um, you know, specific niches with memorialization that are very creative on the technology side with headstones, monuments. So there's something for everyone, even if it's not, quote unquote, working in a funeral home for the next 20, 30, 40 years. So it, it clearly is a industry as opposed to a profession because you've got the the um, traditional path and then you've got where you know the where technology and uh, the internet has really opened up um, a host of other opportunities as with um, other businesses but it's really unique I think in the funeral services industry yes so, um Tanya it's been such a pleasure having you um for those people who may want to um, connect with you, where is the best place for them to find you? I know you're on LinkedIn. I don't know where else on social media they can find you, but um, 
tell the people how they can further connect with you? Sure. So I don't have a TV since I started More Choice School. So <laughs> that is, so I don't watch TV, but I do. I'm very, um, uh, I love LinkedIn. I live on LinkedIn is what I tell my students. So LinkedIn is probably the best way to connect with me. Um, you can also contact me via Miami-Dade College. Um, the contact information is on the website, um, mdc.edu. So those are probably the two probably best avenues to reach me. Um, you had mentioned earlier, you know, I did get into expert witness testimony. So I do, um, you know, if anyone has any wrongdoings with funeral homes or cemeteries, that's another avenue that people may not be that familiar with that people can venture into. Um, so, and then the senior placement, which you had mentioned also earlier, um, that was just a passion. My dad was diagnosed with Louis, Louis body dementia in 2020, passed away November 4th, 2022. And that's just been a heartfelt, blessed work where I'm like the matchmaker between families and communities. And we're a free placement agency. So I wear many hats, but I just feel like I want the universe to put me in a position where my skills and expertise is best utilized. Um, sometimes, you know, my students see me and it's like, okay, you know, she's made up and she's got the black suit. But I say there's, it's almost like seeing the iceberg picture in the, uh, you know, the, the picture that I'm talking about, like there's a lot under the scenes, behind the scenes. So, you know, there's trials and tribulations amongst any journey. I just try my best to come from a position of authentic leadership, inspirational leadership, as I call it willing to help anyone that I can. So if anyone out there, listener, viewer, you know, anyone that I can help or support with whatever question, no question is too small. I'm always available for any type of dialogue um, and be a resource to people. So Salome, I really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, you and me, like we're soul sisters. And I just, I always enjoy the collaboration. We never know where our conversations, conversations are going to lead. Yes, exactly. Uh, thank you, Tanya. It was such a pleasure. And uh, for those of you listening in, and for those of you who are going to catch us on uh, YouTube, um, please remember to um, subscribe and to um, share the video. Uh, uh, Tanya shared um, what she shared with us today has been really eye-opening to me. Um, I particularly am uh, struck by just the... Um, the expanse of, of the funeral services industry and just the possibilities for anyone who's thinking of a career in, in funeral services. So once again, um, thank you all for tuning in to this broadcast and I hope to see you all again soon. And until then, uh, be well and don't forget to tune in. Um, we are uh, a weekly uh, broadcast um, and you can catch uh, past and future episodes on YouTube. So thank you for tuning in and be well.